Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Philosophy of Fitness podcast, episode number 60. 60 episodes down, and we are cruising right along, guys. I'm so excited for today's episode. I can't wait for you to hear it. I sat down and had an awesome conversation with Dr. David Skolnick. So, Actually, I went on his podcast a few weeks ago and we had a really awesome chat. I'm going to leave a link to that in the description. He is the host of the Essential Strength Podcast. He's a physical therapist and he's also the owner of Stronger in Motion, which is his coaching company. So we had such an awesome conversation. If you guys are really interested in learning about injuries, um, specifically back pain, he is somebody who experienced a herniated disc situation a few years ago. So he talks about his journey of recovering from his herniated disc, which actually happened twice. Uh, first time around, he got a surgery. Second time around, he didn't. So he kind of dives into that whole journey. He's also a power lifter, which is something that's really fascinating to me. This is the first person I've had on the podcast who is into powerlifting. So Really awesome conversation. He sheds a lot of light on his perspective, injury prevention as a whole, why it's important to listen to your body, and also just advice for anyone out there that's maybe struggling with an injury or struggling with overtraining and and kind of trying to find a balance between giving yourself the grace to rest, but also pushing yourself enough to get towards what you want. So I am so excited for you to hear our conversation. So without further ado, my friends, we're going to go ahead and get right into it. Go ahead and stay tuned. All right, guys, welcome back to the Philosophy of Fitness podcast. I'm very excited for our guest today. We have David Skolnick. And um, funny enough, I actually went on his podcast a few weeks ago. So I'll leave a link to that episode in the description. But we're doing a little podcast exchange. So David, welcome to my podcast now. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Podcast exchanges are, I think they're really fun because you get a chance to get to know each other for more than 45 minutes. Now we get like a couple hours. Yeah, for sure. It's nice to kind of uh, switch the roles up. So I'm very excited to have you on today. I think you're going to be offering a really unique perspective. I actually have never had someone on who's done powerlifting before. So that's something that I'm really interested in kind of um, learning a little bit more about. So I think that would just be a great place for us to start. I know you're um, someone that's very passionate about powerlifting, and you even shared that in the uh, podcast that I went on. So what kind of led you to powerlifting specifically? Why did that sort of stand out to you? Yeah. So really quick for anyone listening, just a, a definition of what powerlifting is, because for most people, I think powerlifting and Olympic lifting and bodybuilding all kind of get lumped into this one sort of image in your head, usually of a dude in like a speedo um, with bronzer posing on stage. <laughs> and that is bodybuilding. Um, powerlifting is uh, competitive weight lifting and it is specifically um a back squat a bench press and a deadlift with a barbell for all three lifts versus olympic weightlifting which people may have seen in the last couple of months in the olympics um, and that's the clean and jerk and a snatch which both end up with the barbell being starting on the ground and being over your head at the end of the lift so i don't do those two barbell never goes over my head. Uh, I back squat, I bench press and I deadlift. Um, so what got me into that the first time I trained and competed was in 2017. And I've always been an athlete of some sort, uh, basketball, soccer, track and field growing up. But 2017, um, I was, how old would I have been? 27, 28. In the previous year, 2016, uh, I'd gone through a really sort of prolonged but acute and intense period of depression um, and two suicide attempts. So we're starting off the conversation. Oh my God. Wow. But that was my 2016. And that was my worst year ever, easily. Mm. And I had started early in 2017. I was already a physical therapist. I'd finished school in 2015. And I started working in a gym as a strength coach, sort of like getting myself back on my feet from a professional standpoint, doing something that I really liked and could find some confidence in. And I'd always, along with being an athlete, what I'd almost always enjoyed more than the sport was the weight room. So I loved, I just loved lifting weights. And I think powerlifting kind of started to take off on social media 
around 2016, 2017. So I started seeing, you know, people like Steffi Cohen, um, Joe Sullivan, some of these sort of bigger names within the powerlifting world, seeing their videos and being like, you know, that's a, those are three movements, a bench press, a back squat, and a deadlift that I've done. It's not necessarily a new skill, but it would be a good way to give me some structure in my training. And then also kind of coming to a realization that it had been five years since I'd really had a competitive outlet. So the fact that then I could train for a competition was kind of the, the icing on the cake. So my first competition was in Oregon. It was with, um, USA powerlifting. It's the Oregon state championships, which doesn't really mean a whole lot. It just, anyone can sign up for that. Um, and it was just amazing. Like the training I really, really enjoyed and going to a powerlifting meet, it sounds intimidating, but to, it, it gave me the same feeling as a track meet, which I hadn't had again since like 2012. Yeah. No, I hadn't had that since like 2008 because I wow. stopped running track after my sophomore year in college. So it's been like 2008 since I'd been at a track meet. But the cool thing is powerlifting like track and field, for the most part, it's an individual sport, which means that like, if you're a, if you're a running the hundred meter dash, the only people you're really competing with are the other people in that particular race, but everyone else like on the team, who's a shot putter or a hurdler or whatever is there to like cheer you on. And at the end of the day, like, if you're faster than me, you're faster than me. There's nothing I can really do about that. Like it sucks. I would have loved to beat you. But it's not like, you know, wrestling or, or a sport where there's like kind of back and forth. It's just super objective. So powerlifting was awesome because it was this incredibly supportive environment. Everyone like wanting everyone else to do their best and lift all the weights and not miss anything, not get hurt. And, you know, if you're the strongest that day, you're the strongest. And so, yeah, that was my initial foray into powerlifting and then um, just sort of strength in general, physical, and then every other element of strength. That's just kind of my North star. Um, yeah. Yeah. So long story short, that's how I got into powerlifting. Wow. That's such a, that's such an interesting journey, especially, you know, I know you touched on how you were kind of depressed for a little bit. And I feel like that's something that the gym has helped so many people, even for me, like I used to struggle with anxiety and the gym was a great outlet for me to kind of find a sense of purpose. So I think that's really powerful. I also think it's interesting your analogy of comparing, you know, powerlifting to a track meet and the sense of the supportive nature of it. Because I remember I did track only my senior year of high school, but it did really feel that way because it's one of those sports where you're staying in your own lane, essentially, and everybody's cheering you on. Um, which I find way more encouraging. And I think especially for someone who's um, wanting to find a sense of purpose with something, it seems like it's such a perfect outlet to kind of combine testing yourself and challenging yourself, but also, you know, finding the encouragement from um, people around you. So I think that's really interesting, your, you know, your story of, of what kind of led you there. So um, I know you mentioned when I was on your podcast and um, a little bit that you had a herniated disc or a couple of injuries. So I'm kind of curious when that came about, when you started powerlifting and, and how that sort of impacted your journey with, with that whole experience. I didn't start powerlifting until three years after I'd had a back surgery for her needed disc, actually. So when I started physical therapy school, it was 2012. And at that point, I kind of had this mysterious, not really low back pain, but like glute right hip hamstring pain that I thought was like a high hamstring strain, something that I'd suffered in the gym. Um, I would get a lot of pain, like sitting on a harder surface, a wooden chair, like a stool, you know, bar stool, something like that. Um, And it it just kind of started getting worse kind of month over month, pretty progressively. Um, It got more painful, to stand for prolonged periods of time or like walk up a hill. So anything where it was all on my right side, anything where I had to sort of flex my hip with my knee being straight. So again, like kind of walking up a hill or if you can just imagine a hamstring stretch, like my hamstring stretch was God awful. Like if, if I laid down on my back 
and I had someone tried to lift my right leg into a hamstring stretch. It was like 45 degrees on a good day, maybe. Wow. And it started to not really feel like a stretch. It was just pain. Yeah. It didn't feel like that, you know, oh, that's kind of tight. Like we could probably stop there and, you know, we could hang out here and it'll be a nice stretch. It was like, please put my leg down. This really hurts. Um, and the pain started extending farther down my leg. You know, I started getting pain in my calf, um, other sensation changes, like my right foot would feel cold when it wasn't feel like my sock was bunched up. It wasn't or wet. Whoa. It was very strange. So I'm in PT school. So I'm learning about all this stuff. And I was like, wow, this doesn't seem like a musculoskeletal injury anymore. This seems like a nerve thing. So I started having professors, right, do like assessments and give me treatment plans. I was working um, like 10 hours a week at that time at a clinic while I was in school. So I was working with a therapist there, did like 10 sessions. And it just didn't really get better. Like it would get a little better if I was diligent with my sort of plan of care and the soft tissue work and some of the nerve mobility drills that I would get. But then I'd go for a run and it would all come back or I'd go play basketball. I remember the last time I played basketball during PT school, like basically my leg went sort of numb from the knee down, like all the way around my leg and my foot. And so it wasn't like I could feel it, like I could touch my leg. It wasn't like it wasn't there. It was like that feeling where you've been sitting for too long, you stand up and like your leg's asleep. Yeah, I hate that feeling. Um, (laughs) It's very bizarre. Yeah. 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 And so I was like, that's not good. I probably shouldn't play basketball. Um, And, you know, some of the therapists I would work with and some of like my classmates would be like, man, (laughs) we got you better. Like, why'd you go do, why'd you go lift weights? I was like, well, what's the point of getting better if I can't do what I want to do? Like, this is... I'm not just going to get better and sit around to stay on not painful. And so it just got worse and worse um, to the point where, you know, I couldn't really stand for more than five to 10 minutes without feeling like my right calf. I mean, the best way I can explain it was like building pressure to the point where I felt like my calf was going to explode. So I'd have to sit down. Wow. And then one day um, I was in the gym doing some kettlebell work, trying something I didn't really know how to do. (laughs) It was in hindsight, stupid, a snatch, kettlebell snatch, caught it in the wrong place, kind of arched my back. And then the next day, sitting was no longer a relieving position. So I'd always be able to sit down and my symptoms would basically go away. And then the next Mm -hmm. day, sitting down didn't solve the symptoms. It still felt like I'd get an ache in my ankle. So again, this is all coming from my back. The only relieving position was laying down. So I went and got an MRI. I had a herniated disc, uh, low back. If anyone's anatomically inclined, like L5 S1, the last disc in your spine before you hit your sacrum. And, um, I, because I'd already done like two years, basically of physical therapy and it hadn't gotten better at that point, um, decided to have, uh, what's called a micro discectomy. So they go in surgically. It's very quick they basically snip out. So a herniated disc means that the inner portion of your disc sort of like busts through the outer ring of the disc. And then that herniated um, substance basically presses on a nerve root. And that's what leads to the pain and the numbness and the sensation changes and all that kind of stuff. So they basically snip out, clean out that herniated component and then um, solderize the disc back together. So you've got, you, they close it back together and solderize that outer ring. And I was like 90% symptom free the next day. It was wow. amazing. Like woke up. I mean, obviously my back hurt because yeah. of the surgery, right? The tissue that they cut mm-hmm. through and stuff, but I didn't have any of the symptoms down my leg, none of the burning, none of the tingling um, to, foot didn't feel like it was going to fall asleep. And I want to say, I mean, I had staples that came, that came out of my back maybe a week later. And then I think 12 days after my surgery, I like packed my car and drove back to school with, and driving had been horrible. Driving again, was that extending my knee and being flexed and compressed. It was like basically a compression test. It was horrible. (laughs) And so I could drive, I drove like three and a half hours back to school. I was like, smile on my face probably the whole time because it felt fun. (laughs) (laughs) And then, so three years later, I started powerlifting. And I unfortunately re-herniated the same disc in 
March of 2018. All the symptoms came back except worse. Oh no. I initially couldn't, I would like get out of bed, like limp to the bathroom and then kind of just have to like fall back into bed because my glute would hurt. So I don't know if anyone listening has ever had nerve pain, but if you've ever hit your funny bone, you've had nerve pain and it's just that like incredibly disturbing sensation. It's so odd. It's so, it's so odd. It's so unlike anything else. And it's like, it hurts. You you hit your elbow in the right spot and that funny bone, that groove. And it's like, my face hurts. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Everything hurts. And that's how I felt anytime I would stand up my whole right leg. And it took me, I, I injured it on a back squat. It was a compounding months of training around what I knew was kind of worsening nerve symptoms, but I had a competition I was training for. I thought I could, you know, sort of outsmart my injury being a physical therapist yeah. and manage it. And I had one week to go and I, I, I re-herniated on my last heavy training lift of the whole prep. Oh no. And then it took me almost two years to get back to lifting that same amount of weight, but I did not have wow. surgery. Oh, so you healed it on your own then? Well, with a lot of help from chiropractic care, physical therapy, a lot of rest, a lot of just staying in the positions that were comfortable as much as I could, not aggravating it. That's something with nerve pain. It's not like a strained muscle where if you sort of gently work it and stretch it, that will help. It's like if you Mm -hmm. have a nerve injury and you kind of poke at it and test it, it's going to get worse instead of getting better, it'll just perpetually stay inflamed. Um, so yeah, like trying to be really smart, not rushing. At, at one point, I kind of decided I would never squat competitively again in a powerlifting meet, which I've since done. Mm-hmm. And I kind of put some limitations on myself in my mind, but now I feel really good. So um, yeah, it wow. took a lot. Of, it was a team effort. And I, luckily, my wife's a physical therapist. So she could be like, hey, stop being stupid. Yeah. You know, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> wow. But Yeah long recovery. Sounds like it. Was there a reason why you, you opted not to do a surgery the second time, or you just kind of wanted to see if you could heal it on your own? Uh, it was fear to be completely honest. I was concerned. I never even got another MRI. I'm just 99.9% sure that I re-herniated the same disc because it was the same symptoms and it's a weak spot. Like that disc will never be as strong as it was prior to being having surgery and being herniated. And I didn't want to be told, you know, we need to do something more invasive than just a discectomy. You know, we need to do some sort of like a laminectomy where they cut off part of the bone around your spine to decompress your disc or a fusion or something, or be told, you know, I could never lift again. And I was a couple years out of PT school um, and kind of had people around me who were very good, other physical therapists and, and rehab providers. And there's, there is a lot of evidence that you can have just as good an outcome with a disc injury, even a herniation with conservative management. You don't need to go have surgery. And yeah, so I wanted to give it basically as much time as possible. And thankfully, instead of staying the same or getting worse, like it did the first time I had herniated disc, it got better. It took six weeks to really change. That was really sort of depressing and pretty anxiety inducing. Cause it was yeah. like, I don't know if I'll ever be able to lift anything heavy again. I don't know if I'll run again. I, I may have to have a surgery that I know will set me up for issues a couple decades down the road, almost guaranteed. And I may never be out of pain. And then luckily you know, things started trending in the right direction. I had some setbacks along the way. It would get better. I would do a little too much. It would get worse. Um, but overall, again, 21 months later, I was able to squat the same weight that I did when I heard it and not have pain. Wow. So you're, you're back to normal now. You, you're squatting. You're still, you know, doing everything. Do you still experience pain at all, or do you think you've kind of managed it? Um, I do still experience some pain. Uh, I still have some nerve tension issues. Like I'm not a very flexible person. I never have been. And if I get tight and sore and it sort of changes the way I walk or move, 
that'll kind of tug on that same nerve root. It, it's like sciatica. Yeah. So like last two weeks ago, I got back from a vacation. I had, you know, I'm seven weeks out from a competition, so I don't really have time to like mess around in the gym. I went right back to squatting heavy. I got really sore and I was walking like my hamstrings, my hamstrings actually got sore and my adductors got sore. And so I was walking with like more rotation in my hips because I just couldn't stretch my hamstrings very well. And then that brought on a little bit of the back pain and some of the stuff that kind of runs down into my glute. Uh, but then it went away once my hamstrings felt better and I was walking normally. So I definitely still am aware of it. I'm really yeah. diligent with warmups and core work and trying to do, you know, mobility work as much as I can. And then I have one really strange symptom. It's since it's a podcast. Hmm. Well, I guess you do YouTube, but I'm not going to like put my leg up on the table. <laughs> <laughs> I have, it's called fasciculations. So ever since the surgery, my right calf like just it looks like someone's almost playing the piano on the inside of my calf like the keys no so it's way all the little it's all the little like muscle fibers and muscle spindles in my calf like individually it looks like fingers just kind of like moving behind my skin no way hurt. and usually I can't feel it but I can see it or like if oh my, my gosh brings it up then I you know once I'm aware of it it's like oh yeah it is it's like my calf is always moving <laughs> That's like so weird. Path. I've never heard but of that. Yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the worst. If that's the worst of it, I'm I'm cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that's crazy. I'm like kind of curious to see what that looks like now. Um, see if I can get up, take a video, I'll send it. To yeah, you take a video. I'll I'll try to put it in. Um, there's like so much that I want to unpack with with what you shared, and and I think something that you kind of touched on is especially since you were saying how the second time around you really wanted to connect with the people around you and opt out of the surgery. Do you think that this experience has deepened your capacity for kind of um, bridging the gap between your mind and your body for kind of understanding, you know, just that intuitive sense of like where your body's at, where your limit is? What has your experience been with that? Uh, I, I think it definitely has. And, you know, on a broader level, that's sort of where physical therapy in general as a profession, I think, is is going in a lot of ways is the you know, there's a lot more continuing education being offered to physical therapists that has like a cognitive behavioral therapy component, a lot about like psychological factors, beliefs, you know, if you believe you're that a treatment's going to work, it's so much more effective. Um, I just made a post about this yesterday. And, and there's some negatives to it, you know, like, as a physical therapist, whatever your beliefs about back pain are tend to influence your treatment. And that's not always, that doesn't always then align with the best sort of evidence-based way of going about treating low back pain. But at the same time, um, a friend of mine sent me a research article just this morning as a follow-up after seeing what I shared. And it was something I want to say that if a physical therapist was really, really confident and expressed that confidence about their treatment approach to their patient and the patient could sense how confident their therapist was that they were going to get better given the treatment plan they had, outcomes were 68 times better than wow. a patient who's working with a therapist who's like, well, I'm not really sure, like this may or may not work. And so... I mean, placebo is probably the most powerful medicine we have. You know, I, I will I'll never forget. I think it was like a Netflix documentary. Again, it was kind of about the power of belief. It might have been about like happiness. But they also talked about how in like some more primitive sort of tribal cultures, if you had a shaman, right, the, the, the wise medicine man or woman of your clan, and, you know, they read the tea leaves and it said, you're going to die. And you had 100% unquestioning faith in that person, those people died like within a week. Wow. And there may have been nothing wrong with them before. So, like, you can will yourself into almost anything. So, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was fortunate to have people who were confident and competent, which is the best, com you know, confident yeah. and incompetent is dangerous, but confident and competent is outstanding. That's where who you want to be around. So I worked with people who fit that bill um, and had learned just enough myself to give it uh, a lot of time to see what was going to happen and to know enough to kind of 
I could see the small changes, like the small victories, which is a big part of my job as a physical therapist or, you know, your job as a coach is it's really easy to think I haven't achieved my goal. So I've made no progress versus, you know, I haven't achieved my goal yet, but I've made these 10 steps have been taken in the right direction. You know, there's an, an analogy about walking a mile. You can either there's two ways to look at walking a mile. Like every step is a failure because you haven't achieved the mile or every step is a success because you're one step closer to the mile. And so, yeah, I think it's definitely made me a more of a believer in uh, just the power of a, a mindset and just having my own experiences with low back pain. Both of those things have made me a better clinician for sure. Yeah. It sounds like those are both things that you wouldn't maybe expect to enhance, you know, your practice at first, but they actually are, are so connected, especially with the field that you're in and something else too, that you were saying, um, with the shamans that I think is, is really powerful is almost this notion of the self-fulfilling prophecy. I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Joe Dispenza, but he talks a lot about how our mindset affects, you know, our physiology and how people who are addicted to stress, literally create disease in their body. So, you know, if you're seeking out that experience or if you go to somebody who's telling you this treatment's not going to work, like you're probably not going to have success with it, you're probably not going to because you're putting so much energy and so much faith into that idea. Same thing with the the people with the tea leaves, um, which is kind of what we talked about when I was on your podcast, right, is just the power of mindset and, and your perspective and where you see yourself. So, um, I'm kind of curious to pick your brain a little bit now about some more of like the esoteric things in, in terms of like mindset and, um, and your perspective on things. So obviously the injury was something that, you know, you could view as a setback, um, or even a failure, you know, when people get injured, sometimes they think, you know, less of themselves or they think they can't achieve as much because, you know, they have this huge setback, um, towards a goal that they're working towards. So do you have any practices in place now, aside from, you know, powerlifting that you kind of do to keep your mindset sharp, to keep yourself motivated and accountable, even if you're, you know, missing a day or you feel soreness coming back? Yes and no. I am someone who I go in like fits and spurts with things like affirmations or sort of like end of the day talking about kind of like writing down daily gratitudes all these things that feel great. And then I'm like, ah, I don't have 30 seconds. I'm ready to go to bed. And I get out of the habit yeah. for a year <laughs> and I do it again for a month. And so, you know, I think one thing for me, uh, it's strange. Part of what made 2016 and like the nine months where I was very, very depressed and, and suicidal so hard to deal with was that before then and since then, I'm a very optimistic person. So it was this like complete just bizarre shift in my whole mindset and outlook on everything, which I think made it harder for like friends and family to help too. Cause it's like, they hadn't, they had no practice and like trying yeah. to cheer me up. I'm just a cheerful person. But as far as mindset stuff, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of stoicism. I haven't read, you know, a ton of like the seminal works or anything, but I'm a big fan of like Ryan holiday and I get like the daily stoic newsletter in my email inbox um, every day. And I'll usually like once a week or every two weeks, I'll go back and read a bunch of them in a row. Um, I love, I love a good quote and there's just hmm. endless quotes yeah. in stoicism. And so, you know, I try and stay relatively neutral in terms of my mindset, neutral to positive for the most part, sometimes the the problem with that is that I can be a little too, I can take on too much and not be super realistic about my capacity. Um, but I'd rather be that way than the opposite. And probably my favorite quote and the one that I come back to a lot with patience and in my own head is um, not like an ancient Stoic quote, but a Viktor Frankl quote. He wrote Man's Search for Meaning. Um, he was a Holocaust survivor and psychologist. And I, I can never remember the exact sort of branch of psychology that he's sort of the pioneer in, but his most famous quote is um, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. So that falls in line with a lot of stoicism, right? It's not, it's not things that bother us. It's our feelings about things. Yeah. 
And so I try and keep that in mind in general. So if I have a bad training day or I don't sleep well um, or anything like that, I try not to let it sort of spin me out. And it's like, it's just a thing. It's an objective day. I could probably find some evidence for why it happened. Um, and then I'm just going to move forward. Yeah. I think that's such a, a good perspective to have. And it's something that I try to kind of embody too, is, you know, things happen around us that are outside of our control. I mean, you could probably eventually trace a lot of things that happen to you to maybe something you've done, but there are certain life circumstances that happen that you don't have any control over. So what do you always have control over is is how you respond and your perspective and your choice in the actions that you make. And I think that's so powerful. And I kind of want to switch gears a little bit into um, more of like your your powerlifting training related to your injury, because this was something I was thinking about as you were talking about this is just how you even said earlier that you you find yourself in a position of, you know, sort of overestimating how much you have to offer or like, you know, overextending yourself, which I also do too. I, I find that I like get in this hustle mentality where I'm like, I almost feel this sense of guilt if I'm not doing something or if I'm taking a rest day, even I, I find it a lot harder to take rest days. Um, so I think kind of with your, with your whole training experience, I think it also just highlights how your innate ability to connect with your body is, is so important when it comes to learning your limits, like not forcing yourself to work through an injury and, and kind of like overcoming that sense of guilt. Cause I feel like a lot of us have been in that position before. If you're a trainer, if you're in the fitness space where you're like, Oh, it's fine. You just kind of pretend the problem's not there until eventually you're going to be, you know, forced to, to deal with it and you have no choice to face it. So I think it's kind of awesome that you, um, that you sort of like shared that and, and you learn from that experience too. I mean, cause then afterwards you, you found a way to sort of heal it on your own. Once you've been injured, you know, like and it, it's not just like a little ache or a pain, you know, like a, it's an injury that takes you out for a while, then you don't want to have that happen again. And so being patient and sort of taking the long game approach to training, I think is incredibly important. And you could compare it to pro sports, right? Like you could be the best player in the league. You could be the best player in the NBA, but if you miss the season because you're hurt, you're not the best player, right? You were the best player. Maybe you will be when you come back, but you're not helping your team when you're sitting on the bench and doing ACL rehab, right? You're, you're, you're averaging zero points and zero rebounds and zero zeros across the board until you're in the game. And I think a lot of people could probably take a little bit away from that just from their personal training, right? It, the most important element in training in health and fitness diet, I don't care what it is, strength, consistency. Yeah. 10 years from now, are you still doing it? You're not going to get as strong in six weeks as you will in 10 years. And it doesn't matter how strong you get in two years. If you're then injured for six months, you'll lose all of it and more. It'll come back most likely, but you're going to lose it. And then you're going to lose chances to do all kinds of stuff. And so, yeah, it's been for me, it's like, for example, last weekend, so I'm six and a half weeks out from a powerlifting meet from worlds, like drug tested world championships. Wow. And last week I went paddleboarding with my wife and some friends and Unfortunately, we got hit by a windstorm that like pushed us across this lake and like oh shipwrecked us oh, for no. 40 minutes. Um, and then we had to like paddle super hard to get back. And then the next day I Whoa. went to the gym and like my, I had deadlifts and it was, it was terrible. I was super weak. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> right. And it was like, I know, you know, I, I was frustrated in the moment, but it goes back to that. Like, you know, I have the power to control my response to that. It's like, well, it's pretty obvious why I feel really freaking tired because I was yeah. on the lake for five hours yesterday <laughs> in the sun. And then I just got like battered by waves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my back is, is exhausted. Um, but I'm not going to spend time like worrying about that. And I'm also right. I'm not a pro athlete. I'm not getting paid to do this. I'm not getting paid to lift. I'm not going to skip a chance to spend five hours on a yeah. ridiculously beautiful lake with my wife and friends. Um. So yeah, listening to your body, understanding that, you know, missing one day of training won't break you. It won't 
it won't even impact your goals. But pushing into pain for one day and then suffering an actual injury, you know, that can that can derail quite a bit of progress. And like for what? Yeah. You know, for one extra set of curls, for five extra pounds for your ego, whatever. You know, taking a week off isn't gonna change anything even. And it'll probably do you good if you're at that point of overtraining. And so, yeah, listening to your body and tracking things is the other thing that I think is really helpful. You know, I write down all my workouts and occasionally I'll put in notes about why I skipped something or why something didn't feel good. You know, it's like didn't deadlift today. It was scheduled, but I had a really bad night's sleep. It's going to do more Mm -hmm. harm than good. Skip it. I'll get it. I'll get it tomorrow. All that kind of stuff helps perspective and a coach who can yeah. help you understand that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, who can tell you, Hey, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter that you had birthday cake on your birthday. <laughs> doesn't It doesn't matter that, you know, your kids were sick last night and you skipped spin class this morning. Yeah. Like, I'm glad you did. That was the best decision. I affirm your action. You know, yeah. like that stuff's really important. And that's such a huge perspective switch for a lot of people who, You know, I think a lot of the kind of overtraining hustle mentality is ego driven. And I even recognize it in myself. It's like, why, why am I doing this? Like, just take a break, just stop. Like you don't need to be doing this seven days a week, whatever. Um, But even for, for people like us who work with clients, it's like, understand that this is your life. It's not, it's not just you in the gym. It's not just you in the kitchen. Like it's your whole life. And like you said, allowing yourself to go paddleboarding with your wife and your friends, like not beating yourself up for, for enjoying things that come your way or, you know, even taking a rest day. And I think that that's something that a lot of people um, need to give themselves the grace to understand. And especially if someone's had an injury is to just be patient with yourself because it sucks when you're out for a long time. I've never had a surgery on anything, but I've pulled my hamstring before I've done, you know, I've tweaked a few things here and there. And it, and it honestly resulted from me from that place of ego thinking I could just push through it and pretending I was fine until I was like, okay, I'm out for three weeks. Like I can't, you know, run, I can't row, I can't do this or whatever. Um, then you're, you're forced to kind of face with it. So, you know, being patient with yourself and also giving yourself the space to, like you said, um, understand where your body is coming from. And even what you said with where you think physical therapy is headed with like behavioral therapy coming into the equation as well. I think that's really awesome to see is, um, just even in, in medicine in general, seeing people kind of bridging the gap between the mind and the body and, and really just gaining that sense of internal awareness, I think is, is so powerful. It's even true in surgery, which is just sort of mind blowing. The people who, you know, surgery is a surgery. It's about as objective as you can get. You have a, a, a knee replacement, right? That's the same, especially with the same surgeon. It's the same components. It's the same anatomy. It's the same procedure. You know, there are outliers, there are issues that come up, but it's, it's for the most part, it's about as objective as you get in life. It's like an orthopedic surgery. And the people who go into those surgeries thinking this is going to be great i'm going to get back to doing everything i want to do it's going to be easy you know i'm going to go through my physical therapy i'm going to rehab i'm going to get back to golf they do really well the same you know the same person on the same day with the same surgeon in the same operating room with the same tools same components same weight same gender they go in thinking god this is probably a mistake I probably shouldn't do this surgery. Like this is going to suck. Like I'll probably, I'll probably always have pain. Their outcomes. It's going to be worse. That's what the evidence yeah. says. Same surgery. And so, yeah, it's, it's super, super important. And the one other thing I'll say, like for you, for me, for anyone who trains, is sort of like, remember why you're doing it. You know, I'm not yeah. powerlifting to make, money or become a pro athlete. I'm doing it because I really enjoy it. I enjoy having a goal. I enjoy this specific style of training, but I also enjoy going for a run. And so in Arizona, when the weather cools down, which it will in the next like six weeks or so, I'm not going to be training as frequently for powerlifting. I'm going to start running again. And I don't want to get hurt by, you know, letting my ego kind of take the wheel and then having six months where I'm recovering and I don't get to go explore and hike and run and do all these things. And I think a lot of people, you know, like I am probably a little more, I think a lot of people get lost in 
using the gym for the gym's sake. And unless you're someone who is like me, where like my competitive outlet is literally fitness, like it's lifting things competitively. Yeah. That's not what most people are going to the gym to do. They're going to the gym so that they can go for a hike, so that they can play with their kids, so that they can be part of like a walking group, so they can lose a little bit of weight. And so checking in and, and understanding that overtraining and training to injury is only going to inhibit your ability to do what you want to do, the vehicle that the gym is actually driving you towards. Um, I think that's also just super, super important. And it can help people identify how to best train, how to best um, tailor their nutrition to have goals. And those could be you could have a different goal in the spring than you do in the fall. You could have a different goal this year than you do next year. And your training could look different. Your, your nutrition could look different, but kind of always checking in with yourself. Like, why am I doing this? What's the outcome I want? Um, and is, are the steps I'm taking le leading me there? Or am I just driving 80 miles an hour in the wrong direction? Yeah. Uh, that's, that's super important. Yeah. Thinking about your why, like what, what is, you know, what is the thing that you're working towards? And like you said, it's different for everyone. For some people it is, you know, running a half marathon, which I know you also, you know, ran a half marathon. I'm kind of curious to hear about that. Um, but it's like, <laughs> do not recommend. <laughs> really? Oh, here I was thinking you were going to be like, it was awesome. It was great. <laughs> well, you know what? Training was, training was actually awesome for it. Um, yeah. I, so I said I was a track athlete early on, but I was a long jumper and a triple jumper. Like my sport was you take 16 steps as fast as you can. You jump into some sand and then you wait hmm. 10 minutes and you do it again. So like endurance, not my forte, not something yeah. I really enjoy. And so this year, well, when the pandemic started, I started running because gyms were closed in California when I was living in Northern California. And it's one of those things I knew this would happen, but it's like once you do it for four to six weeks, that like lung burning, just suffering aspect of running, it, you get better at it. And it's like, yeah. all of a sudden it becomes enjoyable because you're not just trying to finish the run mm -hmm. and not walk. You're like, oh, I could actually go a little faster today. Like I can look around and appreciate the yeah. scenery and not just be like, <gasps> and looking at my feet the whole time. Yeah. Like hoping they'll keep lifting off the ground. <laughs> but um, yeah, training for a half marathon, it was a huge challenge. Uh, my wife and I both did it. She's run one before. She was a track athlete as well. She's a 400 meter oh. hurdler. So she's a little more endurance oriented than I am. Still not half marathon distances by any means. Now, I say, I say, do not recommend just because hmm. the actual effort of running a half marathon that day was not enjoyable at all. It unfortunately happened to be on like the hottest day of the year so far, which at the oh, time wow. was like April. It was like 85. But like we ended up running in the middle of the day because I didn't want to run in the dark, didn't know how long it was going to take me. And it just kind of sucked. There was a bigger hill on the route than I Oh wow. There was like I ran farther down this trail than I ever had. It was like, oh, there's a hill that I didn't know was there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> right in the middle, like a mile seven. Yeah. This is terrible. Um, but it was a good challenge. It it got me to run. It got, you know, I will usually my history is like I'll run for a little while and then I'll just stop and I'll start lifting again because I love it so much more. But knowing that I was going to run a half marathon again with my wife, we talked to a couple other people about maybe doing like a virtual half or something like that. Yeah. So that helped. But uh, I don't, I honestly, I don't think I'll ever run a, sorry, my email just popped up. Oh, that's I okay. don't think I'll ever run a half marathon again. Yeah. It's I'll funny. Do, you, I'll do a 5K. Um, yeah. 10K. 5Ks are fun. <laughs> I'll do a 10K. 10Ks are fun too. Um, it's funny you say that because I feel like so many people during that start of, you know, the pandemic said, oh, I'm going to train for a half marathon. And I was one of those people who I found a plan online and I was like, okay, you know, I'm going to get out there. The gyms were closed. It was great. I also got to that same point that you did of like, wow, like I would run on the boardwalk at the beach. I'm like, this is really nice. Like this feels good. And then all of a sudden I, I took it too far and I, I wasn't taking proper rest days and I did something to my hip and then I couldn't run for like four weeks. So it was that same kind of thing of like, you know, you got to listen to your body. If your body's giving you warning signs or those like little, 
you know, intuitive feelings of like, mm, this doesn't feel right when I'm going up the stairs, but this feels a little bit more than like muscle soreness. Listen to that because like you said, it, would you rather be resting and taking that time so that you can hop back into it a few days later? Or would you rather push through it and then have yourself out of the game for like six weeks? Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. The whole like no pain, no gain or like pain is weakness, leaving the body, all those things. I think that's pretty we can leave those in the past. Yeah, I agree. Or those people can, that are those can be buried. Yeah, or people that say you know rest is for the week. I know people in my life that yeah, refuse to take. Yeah, yeah. like yeah, okay, be dead before I will. Yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> I know people that uh, that swear by you know no rest days or work fucking harder. You know all these kinds of silly silly mantras, and um, I I really don't agree with it. I've I've spoken about how anti you know super hustle mentality I am and like I said I think so much of it is is ego driven and it's really easy to be in that trap but I know some people listening probably also find it harder to take a rest day you know if if for some of us that are really used to just going all the time it is harder to to slow down and and listen to your body and hopefully you can try to get ahead of it so that you know you don't you're in a position where you're forced to, right? Where you have no option but to address it. Like if you're feeling those, you know, little warning signs like I said, listen to it. You know, feel it out and hopefully you can prevent a situation like what you had with, you know, something where it could get more severe, you know, the longer you're kind of stressing it. I completely agree. Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of curious now if you have any sort of, you know, last minute advice you'd give to anybody who's maybe dealing with an injury now, what they could be doing, um, not just physically, but sort of mentally to prepare themselves for, you know, when they're hopefully going to be recovering. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Obviously, it depends on the type of injury, and this is not, you know, medical advice per se. But there are so Kelly Sturette, Most people know he's probably one of the more famous physical therapists in the world. Um, he created, like, he wrote the book The Supple Leopard. He created Mobility Wad. Um, his company is now called The Ready State, and he talks about the three eyes um, in terms of human movement and what leads to injury and it's incomplete movement mechanics. Basically you've got areas that are weak or, you know, muscle imbalances. You've got joint limitations, issues in stability, all these little things that like you don't necessarily even realize, but they lead to compensations. The second, so that's, that's the first eye incomplete mechanics. The second one is insults. So those little, like you said, like a hamstring strain, it's like, well, there's probably, you know, if you, if you work with a a good rehab professional or movement, human movement expert, they could probably identify what maybe set you up for that strain, you know, unless it was just straight up, you know, kicking a soccer ball as hard as you could for the first time in 10 years. That's pretty (laughs) obvious. But why was it the right instead of the left? You know, why is the right one always feel a little tighter than the left one? You, You could probably identify that. And then the third eye is the actual injury, the thing that, you know, puts you on the sidelines for weeks or months. And so I think, you know, for anyone who's generally feeling pretty good, and this is something I kind of hope that physical therapy and chiropractic and some of these other professions go this direction, sort of like the dental approach, you know, like a six month checkup, a movement checkup, and maybe they identify, you know, the equivalent of a cavity and you've got to come back for a couple of weeks and get some work done. Or they're like, everything looks good. You know, here's a couple exercises to do. That's your flossing. Um, and you come back and see me in six months. But I think if you're a really active person and, or maybe you're transitioning into something new, you know, maybe you've never been much of a runner, but you want to run a 5k, you know, next spring, or you're inspired by this conversation. It's like, well, I want to go see what, you know, squatting kind of heavy feels like go work with someone who can assess how you move, give you some technique pointers and don't wait to get injured, you know, get ahead of it. If you are injured again, professional advice, right? If it's the first person you see probably shouldn't be a surgeon unless you've got some serious, you know, red flag issues like numbness, like yeah. legit can't pick my toes up, you know, lost control of bowel and bladder after a fall, you know, back yeah. issue, stuff like that. But for the most part, 
you know, back pain is the most common issue that people have. And most injuries, you know, will resolve in six to eight weeks from a soft tissue standpoint. But again, I'll, I'll advocate for going and seeing a physical therapist in part, just to learn about what's going on and maybe give you some peace of mind, you know, help alleviate the fear that comes from not knowing. Yeah. It's kind of the same way, you know, I feel about finances. I don't know mm -hmm. enough which, you know, leads to some worry because I just don't understand what, what's yeah. happening. Um, and so go, go learn from someone, learn about your body, learn about the fact that you're more resilient than you might think that this won't last as long as, you know, the worrying part of your brain will tell you that this could be forever. Um, and then hopefully what you can do is usually with some guidance from a, from a rehab professional or a coach is identify the factors that may have led to you being injured. Was it overtraining? Um, was it repetitive use? You know, I think a lot of people, if we stick with the running example, a lot of people who, who sort of jog or run recreationally, I mean, they've got like two routes and they run the same pace yeah. every time, you know, they, they, they run left, leave their house, take a left. It's a big square around a bunch of blocks. Yeah. So they only overturn left. It's like, then they wonder why their left knee hurts. Like, well, literally go out your door, turn the other way. I had a friend's dad, like he was having pain walking and he only did the same route. I literally told wow. him next time go right, do the same route, but backwards. Two weeks later, he's like, my knee doesn't hurt anymore. Like it could be that wow. simple. Most of the time it's something repetitive. And so, yeah, uh, try and get yourself, if you are injured, once you start feeling better, try and, try and understand the modifiable risk factors so that that same injury doesn't become something that's recurrent. Yeah. I think that's some very sound advice and people fear what they don't understand. Right. So it's like, if you're not seeing someone, if you're not reaching out, you could be making a million worst case scenarios in your head of, of what's wrong with you. And, Oh my God, I'm going to be dealing with this forever. So it's like, give yourself the peace of mind of at least identifying what it is and going to see someone. And then, sort of working with them. And, and on top of that, you know, working on your mindset, working on seeing yourself, visualizing yourself healed, visualizing yourself, getting back to, to what you're doing. Like you said earlier, you know, the power of, of your mindset with the healing process is just absolutely transformational. So it's like, if you couple those things, if you're someone, you know, that's listening, that's injured, or even maybe you tweak something and you're kind of, you know, listening to this, take this as your sign to take a rest day. If something's not feeling right right now, take your rest day and you'll be fine. Like you're not going to lose all of your gains because you took a few days away from the gym, which I know some of us, it's hard pill to swallow, but we got to be reminded. Yeah. That's just simply not how it works. Yeah. And, and one other thing about the, you know, affirmations and visualization, you know, that stuff is really powerful, but you also, you have to believe it. And it's really hard to tell yourself, you know, I'm going to get better. This pain will go away. If then the little, you know, subconscious part of your brain immediately is like, no, it's not. Yeah. No, it won't. Nope. Nope. You can't just be like, I, you know, you can't have an affirmation that says like, I don't hurt. And yeah. then you're like, but I do. <laughs> No, that's you so know, true. Yeah, you have to. And that's where that guidance comes in. You know, it's like, mm -hmm. you know, tell yourself that in six weeks, I will not have this pain because you won't. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes that that takes the, you know, the little just the professional boost in confidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, somebody else to kind of hold you accountable. It's so true, though, because you could have a list of the best affirmations, you could have the best practices in place, you know, the best journaling prompts, whatever. But if you're sitting there going through the motions like, okay, and you don't believe it deep down, you're just running through the motions, nothing's going to happen. Affirmations are powerful because of the energy and the intention that you place behind them. So I think, like you said, setting an example or even just a goal for yourself of like, in six weeks, I'm going to have this and just allow yourself to have full faith in it. And and allow the people around you to support you too. you know, reach out to your, to your people around you and, and, um, and let that, you know, energy and let that, you know, perspective of somebody who really knows what they're talking about. Like you said, um, competent and confident. I, I love that quote. Um, let that be something else that kind of fuels, you know, the power of your affirmations. Absolutely. I think the one that people, you know, the, the best example you read about is like, if you just say I am wealthy, right. There's like the whole like money magnet. I don't know where it yeah. comes from. Like, uh, um, probably from a pyramid scheme, but it's like, <laughs> I am wealthy, but it's like, if you're sitting in your living room on your you know couch, that's falling apart, <laughs> with the TV that's broken, like, 
you know, you can barely pay your rent. And every morning you wake up and you write down like, I am wealthy. You're basically just arguing with yourself every day. Yeah. And all the evidence supports the opposite. But if you switch that to like, I am capable of becoming wealthy. It's like, they're, well, they can't really argue with that. Like you, yeah. Of course you're capable of it. So, you know, I am capable of getting stronger than I am. I am capable of running faster than I do. You yeah. know, I'm capable of, I am capable of running a half marathon. It, but it's, yeah. So be honest. Yeah. <laughs> you can set lofty goals, <laughs> but it's got to be in a framework, in a language that doesn't immediately make you say like, God, I'm such an idiot. Yeah. Like, if it turns off <laughs> no, your subconscious <laughs> mind, like it's, it's not going to work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And um, can't lie to yourself. No, exactly. You really can't. And I think something else too, like real quick to go off of that is obviously take rest days, you know, and, and be patient with yourself. But I think the other thing with affirmations is you, you have to take action on it. You can't just sit on that couch in the living room and say, I'm wealthy and be like, okay, here we Boom. go. Where's the money? Like Wait you got to, universe to yeah. rain it down. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. You got to You got to take the same action. Same thing with training. Same thing yeah. with training. And right? sometimes I honestly, have a healthy body weight and then like, but you haven't cooked and all you do is like DoorDash fast food. Like, yeah. I mean, good, good for your mindset, but. Uh, yeah. You, know. you got to find a way to kind of like bridge the gap and connect them. And maybe for you, it's maybe the action is taking a rest day. Like as silly as that sounds, maybe that's the thing that's actually going to get you closer to, to where you want to be. So. Yep. Yep. I would agree. I would agree. Yeah. The, the gains come from the recovery, right? The, the training oh, yeah. is the breakdown. The training breaks you down. Um, the rest builds you up. Yep. Rest is so, so important. It's taken me a while to realize that. And I, I still struggle to take rest days now, but, um, it's something that I, I'm certainly working on is, you know, being patient with myself. And, um, I think this whole conversation, you know, really just highlights the importance of that, the importance of connecting with your body, being patient, trusting your process, you know, trusting in yourself enough that you will heal if you're injured, that you, that you will eventually get to where you're trying to go. If you just sort of, um, have faith and also accountability, like reach out to people. If you're, if you're looking to, you know, power lift, or if you're looking, you know, to work with somebody, reach out to a coach, somebody who can guide you along that process. We are both coaches. So you guys can, can reach out to us if you want some guidance with, you know, fitness, nutrition, um, whatever it might be, but don't be afraid to, to find people that you can use as a resource because accountability is something even, even in itself, just the act of having someone hold you accountable, um, for a lot of people is really transformative. So, um, I want to thank you so much, David, for, for coming on today. This was really awesome. I learned so much about like back pain and, um, how it manifests, which was really cool to hear. So thank you so much for coming on. I want to give you a chance to kind of plug yourself. So, um, any links, like where people can find you, where they can listen to your podcast, what it's about. Absolutely. Yes. I am definitely the most active on Instagram. Um, so if you want to connect with me via social media, uh, my Instagram handle is at Dr. David Skolnick DPT, and I host the Essential Strength Podcast. So that's uh, every Wednesday, and it's interview style, and there are always conversations that sort of are built around the backbone of strength. So mental strength, physical strength. Um, I just had someone on to talk about, and he's a, he's a marriage counselor and sex therapist. So our conversation was about how to build a strong romantic relationship that will last. Um, we're going to be having guests on to talk about like building a stronger, like personal finance base. I mentioned that oh, I don't wow. know a lot about money, so I, yeah. I want to expand on, you know, I think strength is the foundation. You know, it's very key mm -hmm. to success in a lot of realms. And so, you know, being as strong as you can in a diverse array of skills that's what we're going for with the podcast so again it's the essential strength podcast we have um, an instagram account specifically for the show where we do video clips um, and it's a great place to kind of stay connected and see what's coming next on the show who we have coming up for guests to actually communicate um, with me because i know podcasting as i know you are aware is a very one way yeah channel. i never know necessarily what people think of the conversations yep. so connecting via social media is a cool way to actually have conversations and uh yeah those are the two best places i own a training and nutrition company called stronger in motion so you could check out strongerinmotion.com that's the best place to sort of reach out to me um, along with instagram if you're interested in coaching I do coach powerlifting, 
um, as well as general fitness. So got a new offer coming soon for like year round sort of group programming at a pretty reasonable rate. So yeah, lots, lots of stuff going on, but start, start with Instagram, start with Instagram and listen to the essential strength podcast. Cool. I love um, I love your array of guests, by the way, because I was looking through your episodes and I saw you had uh, the dating coach on. I was like, oh, I can't wait to listen to this. Um, I think it's so cool how you're weaving strength into so many different areas. I love seeing, um, you know, connecting sort of this, you know, fitness space, the physical, you know, fitness space with mindfulness and mindset to, to all different branches. And um, that's something that I'm trying to do, too. So, um, guys, check out his podcast. It's amazing. Follow him on Instagram. I'm going to leave all the links below. If you want to work with him, too, I'll leave links where you can find out absolutely everything that you need to. But, David, thank you again. This was amazing. Thank you so much uh, for coming on. Thanks, Haley. It's my pleasure. 